Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We do get to shout, we do get to sing, we do get to praise because we are following a God that empowers us to do so, but also because we are in a place where we have freedom of speech. We're going to talk today about how freedom of speech is critical toward preserving freedom of religion. And we're using the FDR speech and the Norman Rockwell paintings to frame this series And of course, we're centering it down in what Scripture teaches us as well. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to hear two passages, one from James and one from Acts. My brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. We all make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. Think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. People can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. No one can tame the tongue, though. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So I came from a politically divided home. My parents had different political affiliations. It made for some lively conversation in our house as I was growing up. 
But in the mid-1980s, both of my parents were united against a common enemy, and that enemy was Tipper Gore. (laughs) She started the Parents Music Resource Center, and that involved putting those little stickers on albums and cassettes, and you had to be you know, over the age of 17 to buy certain albums because they were considered obscene. Well, in 1984, I was in fourth grade. I had my own allowance and one of the best soundtracks of all time had come out, Purple Rain. Yeah, and I wanted Purple Rain, but I'm a fourth grader, right? And that sticker is on the front because of one song on the album. We lived in a small town, so we'd gone to Oklahoma City to the mall. We were at one of those mall record stores, and I found Purple Rain. And I went over to my mom, and I said, Mom, I really would like to get Purple Rain. And she said, you're going to have to talk to your dad about that. So I go over to Dad, and I say, Dad, I really would like to buy Purple Rain, but I can't buy it because of this sticker. And he said, oh, you can't, can you? Well. Let me tell you what's wrong with this country. In a country that supports freedom of speech, you should be free to purchase that kind of album. We should be free as your parents to say it's fine for you to listen to it. There should not be such objections. This is offensive. We are taking a stand. And so my dad drags me up to the counter where a, I'm certain, completely disinterested teenager working behind the counter was standing and he hands the Purple Rain album defiantly to the cashier. And the cashier rings it up and puts it in a bag and hands it back to my dad. And then my dad stares at the cashier as he takes it out of the bag and hands it to me. (laughs) Ah, the revolution, right? Resistance is alive. Here's an interesting detail about that, though. I loved that album. I played it practically every day for years and years. I wore it out. But for nine years of listening to that album, I skipped the offending song. Because I did not feel as though I was mature enough to handle such material. So I did not expose myself to that. But that was my dad's point. They had the freedom as my parents to choose that I could be exposed to different ideas and I had the freedom as an individual to choose not to listen. Last week, we talked about freedom of worship in line with freedom of religion and we talked about how important these rights are. Freedom of speech is the second of the rights listed in the First Amendment. And as my dad would fiercely defend, the free flow of ideas is critical to us having choice and it is critical to us being able to freely practice our religion. Last week, we talked about the difference within Protestantism between Arminianism and Calvinism and that Arminianism depends on the freedom of choice, that we have free will to make decisions, and that is what allows us to choose to grow close to God, whereas Calvinism, in which things are predestined, does not actually rely on choice, so in many ways, narrowing choice is the expression of their faith. Well, we have another struggle within Protestantism that I think is at work in how we are dealing with threats to freedom of speech now in our culture, and that is in looking at how we read the Bible, whether we read the Bible and see it as the inspired Word of God or we see it as the infallible Word of God. 
Now, I want to look primarily at Scripture and talk about the fact that James, the letter of James does acknowledge that there's a danger to words, that those words can be used to tear down others. And so in those situations, they should be restricted. They should be tempered. We should learn to control and rein in our tongue. But the question is, how does that reigning in happen? Does it happen by choice or does it happen because you don't have a choice? Because someone has made the choice for you and forced you into a particular understanding. And how is really at the root of this issue, but it's how we read scripture. So I want to talk about us inspired Methodists over here. We do believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And I had someone ask me just this week what that means. And what that means is that we believe the Holy Spirit was active and present in the writing of Scripture. We also believe the Holy Spirit is active and present in the reading and interpreting of Scripture. But we also believe that humans are there too. That humans are part of this process. And as such, the Bible contains all the beauty and power and love of God. And it contains the messy reality of humanity right alongside one another, in relationship with one another. And so when we are using scripture in order to understand what the will of God is, you'll often hear us talk about using the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And what we mean when we say that is that we do believe that scripture is a primary way of understanding God and God's will for our lives. We do give it a sense of privilege, but it is not the only part in the conversation that is happening here. We also will say that we bring to scripture the tradition that has raised us and shaped us in how we understand the Bible. We, we bring our mind, we bring our reason to scripture and ask questions and wonder and struggle and wrestle with it as well. And then we bring our experience. What context are we sitting in? How is the word moving now? How is scripture alive now? And how does it have meaning in this time and this place for this people and who we are? For us, it means that scripture is very alive. It's inviting us into an active conversation and it's inviting us into the questions to find life in the complexity. For us, salvation comes in wrestling and then the salvation comes in choosing God. It's not an easy read. We just underwent this year of reading the Bible together. Some of us didn't make it. It's tough. It's hard to struggle through it. And some may more readily read a book and be able to ask questions of it, or some may be more readily able to read a book and understand metaphor that's at work with it, understand the historical context, understand other meaning that's floating around it. I will admit I'm one of those people that's kind of cut of that cloth. I wrote my very first poem on the swing set in elementary school. I was dealing with metaphor way early on in my life. And I, as a small child, absolutely loved a Maurice Sendak book called Higgledy Piggledy Pop. It is not in print anymore. It's that weird. <laughs> and my mom, when she would take me to, to the library, I always wanted to check out Higgledy Piggledy Pop, and she never understood why. It was a very strange book in which, you know, dogs are swallowing mops and lions are showing up and there's just this one little Scotty dog that's desperate for pancakes and she never got it. But for me, I could see all the obstacles between what we desire. They were there. And so I had great understanding and that book was really powerful for me. But I'll say this, even though my mom understood it differently, she was always willing to ask me, why do you love this book? 
and give me the space to talk about it. And she gave me the space to keep checking the book out. And so I and many of you have grown up in ways that encourage you to ask questions and to read differently and to read deeper. And I ended up Methodist because of that, because there's space in this tradition to do that. And many of you have also ended up Methodist because you were the ones that were asking the questions in children's Sunday school that got you thrown out. I know, I've heard your stories, right? In the meantime, there are a whole other group of Christians that see the Bible as infallible. And when they see it as infallible, that means there is no room for question, really. No room at all for question. The phrase that most matches that understanding of the Bible is, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. That in those traditions, people are presented this book and told what to believe. And told that if they dissent from what they are told to believe, that they are then outside of salvation. Salvation for them is in adherence to what they are being told to believe. We have in this scenario where we have those of us that read it inspired and those of us that read it infallible, again, another conflict and another conflict where the stakes are high. And I want to look at the stakes for those that read the Bible as infallible. This, for many people in that tradition, is the very first book that they are exposed to and the very first book that is given meaning for them. And the way they are taught to read it is without question without question, which sets up the reality that they may read other books without question. And if that is how you are taught to read, then you can understand why parents might fear that their child would read a book that has a character on the LGBTQIA plus identity and might fear that their child would read that and then think they have to be gay because they have been taught to read that way. So you can understand why they might have fear around what books their child is exposed to. Because for them, their child might run across a book that would result in their damnation. For them, that's how they would understand it. In the meantime, we sit over here and expect that we should have the freedom and ability to read this book in a different way. But guess what? When you start banning books, reading this book, period, becomes a challenge. I have here this Read These Banned Books, a journal and 52-week reading challenge from the American Library Association. And they have 52 books to suggest to you read that regularly get banned. But they also at the back have the 100 most banned and challenged books from 2010 to 2019. And guess what number 52 is? The Bible. That's right. Number 52 is the Bible because this book is dangerous. This book contains violence. This book contains murder. This book contains all kinds of sex, some healthy, some not. This book contains challenges. This book contains ideas that many would consider dangerous. So from our perspective, it is absolutely critical that we continue to have freedom of speech in this country just so that we continue to have freedom to access this book. 
but then also that we have freedom to access this book and to read it and question it and interpret it in ways that have meaning for us. And what does that allow us to do? It allows us to have the Sunday school classes that we have. It allows us to raise the questions that we did at 10 o'clock just before this in Heinz Hall. It also allows us to say, we affirm a woman standing up there and preaching from this book. Because we're given the freedom to approach this book and to interpret it and to ask questions about it and to learn from it and be shaped by it in ways that have power and meaning. But then it also means our freedom of religion relies on other books being out there too. Because other books tell us about other people's lives. And when we learn about other people's lives, you know what we can do? We can love them better. And last I checked, we are called to love God and love neighbor. And the way that you love your neighbor is that you listen and understand your neighbor. You do not have to make the same choices that your neighbor made. I guarantee you the other fourth graders that had purple rain chose to listen to the song that I didn't choose to listen to, right? At least we can understand we have a frame of meaning that we can walk alongside one another. The back of this book says, books teach people of all ages about the world around them, about empathy, history, other worldviews and opinions, and more. As a result, books impact the societies those readers populate. When a society decides it does not want to change, the first thing to go are the books. Last time I checked, we weren't living in the fullness of the reign of God, so we still need to change. So we still need to understand one another better, to grow alongside one another, to hear each other's perspective, and books support that reality. The painting that's right here that Rockwell painted, it was a meeting about a school issue, and he painted the man who actually disagreed with everyone else in the crowd about what should happen with the schools. Rockwell also noted that the man was dressed in workman's clothes. Everyone else around him is in suits. And Rockwell wanted us to remember that even when the crowd didn't agree with his ideas, he still was free to speak. And even when society might say he didn't have as much value, we do affirm that. We affirm. We affirm his value as a human. And we as Christians are called to love him and everyone in that crowd, all the people in here and all the people out there. And the only way to do that is to more fully understand. We don't have to agree. We have to love. And where do I get that sense that it is in the freedom of expression, of ideas, of difference, of different cultures and understandings? Well, that comes from Acts. God could have made it so that everyone spoke the same language. Instead, God empowered the disciples to carry the gospel into other cultures, to meet them where they are and speak their language and talk in ways that had meaning to them, not to change them to adhere in this direction, but to affirm that that diversity was powerful and meaningful and who we are. That that's what God wants is all of us understanding, loving, hearing, being spoken to, and being able to speak. James is right. There is power in words. 
We can use words for any number of things. We can use words to judge. We can use words to tear down. We can use words to make people feel less than. We can use words to hurt. Or we can use words to love. We have the choice. I'm going to choose the words of love. How about you? Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.